The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the SB Nation NFL Show. This is Monday Football Monday. I am not Pete Sweeney nor RJ Ochoa. They are off today. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation, and helping me pinch hit for these guys is Justice Mosqueda from Acme Packing Company. What's up, Justice? Not much. Burning up a little bit in uh, Portland, Oregon. We just hit a higher temperature than the entire state of Florida's uh, recorded history yesterday, so... What recorded history? Yeah, yeah. Hotter yesterday in Portland than it's ever been in Florida. That is insane. It is 90 degrees where I am right now in Connecticut. There's a heat advisory. And Justice, two days ago, my air conditioner basically blew up. So I have no AC right now. Oh no. That's I'm, awful. That's I you am gotta melting. find a friend's house. You gotta you gotta do something. It is just, I have sweat dripping down. It's disgusting. I'm just turning into a puddle of goo here. It's uh, it's pretty gross. Well, we want to remind you to rate, review, and follow the SB Nation NFL show before we get started today. We're going to talk quarterbacks, because when don't we talk quarterbacks? Let's be honest. Uh, but I saw a report uh, from Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer that the Browns and Baker Mayfield have not had any substantial talks when it comes to a contract extension. And when I saw that, Justice, my first thought was, good for the Browns, because I think they're doing exactly the right thing. We're going to get into why. We're going to look at all the first-round quarterbacks from that draft in 2018. And we can start with Baker if you want. You know what? Actually, let me do this. Let's start with the overall quarterback philosophy here. When it comes to deciding when to give a guy a a new deal, a second deal, do you have sort of an overarching philosophy? How do you approach that? I I think the way to do it, one, these guys are going to find jobs no matter what, if you pay them or if you don't, and you have to accept that. So if you're going to be able to let a guy walk, like if if you're the Cleveland Browns and you're saying, you know, Baker Mayfield isn't the type of quarterback that we want to pay $40 million per year for. You have to be okay with letting him walk and starting with another team and even potentially playing average to above average football. You have to be okay with that. But it's really about what you do and what you bring to the table, right? Because I think that's the biggest thing where we talk about the difference between a Baker Mayfield and like some of the other quarterbacks in the NFL where it's, okay, Baker can put up some stats, but what does he do? 
is he just a product of that play action system, right? Or it becomes, all right, how how much are we paying him for being a piece of the puzzle in the offensive structure? And that's where you get into the Kirk Cousins trouble, right? That's where that's when you start doing that. When it's you don't see creativity, a strong amount of creativity outside of the pocket, right? Like a guy like a Lamar Jackson, um, or even you know, the ability to create, you know, positive gains with your legs, like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Um, does he do things with pure arm talent, like a guy like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or something like that? If, if he can't check any of those boxes, then you start to wonder, what are we actually paying for? And I guess that's really where I think teams are going to get themselves in trouble. Yeah, I think teams definitely worry about, like, oh, no, what if we don't sign him and he goes somewhere else? Like, they're way too concerned with that. Now, I understand in Cleveland it's a little different because they've been so bad for so long. And I think to completely ignore that and say that shouldn't be a factor at all, I think is naive. I think that just has to be part of your decision-making process. But I think teams are scared to use the system to their advantage. Like the rookie wage scale is awesome for teams. That's like the best thing that ever happened to a general manager. If you draft a quarterback in the first round, you get five years of them on a below market value deal, plus two years of the franchise tag. So you get a quarterback for, if you want him, seven years. Do you know how many teams in the league have had a quarterback for seven years or more, Justice? Uh, the same quarterback, I'll, I'll guess like eight, maybe it's 15% of the league. That's it. 85% of the league has not had a quarterback for that long. And it gets even more crazy. Let's just cut the years down, right? Let's say four years or more. Only 28% of the league has had a quarterback for four years or more. So basically you're only, you're looking for a quarterback every four years anyway, pretty much if you're a team. So don't be afraid to draft a guy in the first round, let him play out his contract, and then let him go. That's okay, because that's pretty much what these teams are doing anyway. Yeah, and I think with guys like Baker, I think that's where the league is going to head. I don't think – I'm not sure if the Browns will actually pull the trigger and actually just let him walk right now. Um I, I, th- I think if you're going to take that approach, the easiest way to do it is flip the quarterback in their last year, right? I mean, the way to do it is, all right, you played for us for three years. Now you basically have no dead cap hit. And before we even have to pick up your fifth-year option, we can trade you for a draft pick. Now we've, you know, in theory, added the cap space that we haven't paid you, right, is, is a bonus. And then now we're getting draft picks from it too. And now we have availability to get another quarterback. Um, I think that's the way to do it. If you're hanging on to a quarterback like the Browns are right now, I kind of think that they're going to pay Baker eventually. But I I do wonder if, you know, five years from now, if we ever see a team kind of make that type of decision, because the NFL is changing a lot. I mean, we're seeing cash swaps for draft picks right now. Um, We've seen that. We're seeing these dead years completely take over. Um, we're at a point where you can look it up. There's teams this year that have spent $100 million more than other teams and still fit it under the cap. It's a complete mask off type of situation where the cap the cap, and like the whole idea of parity doesn't really exist. It's about owners really suppressing 
the wages, right? I mean, that's basically what it is because we don't care that one team is spending $100 million over another team. It's just that their cap hits don't go above a certain point. So now we're going to get into a game where everything is going to be about cap manipulation Mm -hmm. and flipping these quarterbacks. That's going to be part of it. And that's where the NFL is going. And they just signed that new CBA. And this is the rules that we're going to play under for the next 10 years. So that's kind of what's coming. The, The question is how fast do teams get to it? But I think the pandemic and the reduced cap and people realizing that they can add on fake years at the end of contracts, you know, in 2022 or 2021 offseason, I think that accelerated a lot of stuff. So I think it's coming pretty soon. Right. Like people always say when it comes to your fantasy league, right, like draft according to your fantasy league rules, play according to your league's rules. Well, the NFL needs to do the same thing. Like you just said, dummy years in the cap hit, all that stuff play to the CBA and what it allows you to do. And the quarterback plan that you just described, by the way, is exactly what the Patriots did with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? They drafted him. They kept him for a few years. And then before his contract expired, they traded him to the 49ers. They got a second round pick, which they eventually turned into a bunch more picks because they're the Patriots. But that's sort of what you're describing in terms of strategy, right? Yeah. And and that's the thing. When teams are trading for guys on the last year of their contract, they're not just trading for the value of that player. They're trading for the rights to negotiate with that player exclusively, right? So, like, when you see the Seattle Seahawks and they trade for Jamal Adams, they knew that Jamal Adams' contract was coming up and they wanted to pay for him, right? Um, so, so that's kind of the situation that they're in. And that's the whole part of this matchmaking process that I would say in, if you're flipping the end of rookie contracts is – not only do you have to find someone who wants your player, you have to find someone who wants your player and wants to extend them because that's where they see the value. Because if the guy's just going to hit free agency, there's no point in just the value of that one year, right? They're, when they're trading a high draft pick for a quarterback, it's not for that one year. It's for the rights to negotiate with him and lock him in for the next five years. I completely agree. And then for the 49ers in Jimmy Garoppolo's case, it was a chance to get to know him, to have an extended look at him, just, you know, feel him out, see what kind of a player he is. Um, And obviously they ended up signing him to a long-term deal. And we know how that went, but I think the, the process was sound on both sides of that deal. Uh, When it comes to Baker specifically, if you could get Baker to sign like a Jimmy Garoppolo type deal, 26, $27 million a year, I think that's worth it for the Browns. I would sign up for that. I don't think Baker is a bad quarterback at all. I think he's a guy you can win with. You can't win because of him, but I think you can win with him. If he was ever willing to sign a deal like that, if I was Cleveland, I would absolutely do it. The problem is he's not going to want $25, $26 million a year. He's going to want something closer to the $40 million a year that Dak got because that's kind of the market rate if you take the – Patrick Mahomes deal kind of out of the equation because nobody's Patrick Mahomes. But would you, if if you were the Browns and I was Baker's agent and I said $29 million a year for the next four years, are you in or are you out right now? What do you do? I I would sign up for that if I were Cleveland. Um, I think that's perfectly fair. And the structure of the Jimmy deal was so front-loaded that they were able to get out of it pretty quickly. And I think a lot of people forget that. Um, and that's a really important part too is not only is it, okay, can we pay this quarterback? It's can we pay this quarterback, not overpay him, and can we get out like within two years? 
Because that's that's another part of the problem, right? Where a lot of these contracts for quarterbacks, I mean, you get into the fourth year before you have a parachute out. And yeah. there's not a lot of quarterbacks who can consistently play, uh, you know, top 16 quarterback level in the NFL for four years in a row. And you don't want to pull that parachute out. Um, so it's kind of a tough situation. I, I just don't know. So if you're the Browns, what do you tell yourself Baker brings to the table? So he freelances a little bit and he breaks the pocket and that helps certainly. But outside of that, I mean, who else can do that? Like, what's the difference between a Baker Mayfield and a Derek Carr where, you know, every, every off season, it's John Gruden is looking at this quarterback. Huh. John Gruden is looking at this quarterback. So he's clearly not happy with Carr. but like, what's the big difference between Carr and Baker at this point? I would say if I had to pick something, I think Baker's a little bit more willing to take some chances and be more aggressive. To me, the problem with Derek Carr is he's he's scared sometimes. Like, I've literally seen the dude spike the ball on fourth down. Like, Baker will chuck it in there, and sometimes that gets him into trouble like we saw in year two with him when he had 21 interceptions and would have led the league if Jameis Winston didn't decide to throw for a 30 that year. But that, to me, is the difference, is Baker's willing to stick it in there and Carr is kind of not. That's fair. That's fair. I just think like in an ideal NFL, right? A guy like Baker Mayfield is just consistently taking one-year contracts, bouncing around the league because he's clearly a starter, right? No no one is saying he's not a top mm-hmm. 32 quarterback, but just bouncing around the league until he finds someone that like he really clicks with. And then it's just like, yep, I can be an MVP level candidate in this type of a system and he just ascends and then gets a big contract from there. But I, I think Stefanski is a pretty smart guy and I don't think that's necessarily where Baker is. I know he's playing good ball and the offense is humming a little bit with that run game, but I don't think that anyone is really thinking like coming into this year and saying, you know, Baker Mayfield MVP sleeper. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Do you who do you think is the real Baker? Do you think the real Baker is the guy we saw his rookie year and last year with Stefanski who can do some things and and protect the ball a little bit better? Or do you think it's the guy we saw with Freddie Kitchens with 22 touchdowns and 21 picks? I I think it's the guy that we just saw. The Kitchens stuff is so weird, man. I don't think people are going to remember that era as chaotic as it was. Like literally Hugh Jackson got canned. They promoted his defensive coordinator, Greg Williams. They decided we don't want either of these guys run it, running the show. And then they hired the, like, he was like the running backs coach or tight ends coach as yeah, the head coach of the Browns, just because he's buddies with Baker. They're like, yeah, he's buddies with Baker. We'll figure it out from there. And guess what? It was a bad idea. guys. <laughs> it was a bad idea. Who would have thought that that wouldn't have worked out? Right. I mean, who could have guessed it? Yeah. Who could have guessed when you're picking out a, you know, Hugh Jackson and Greg Williams and you go to the third option on that staff, that third option isn't very good. So Baker Mayfield, you're predicting, oh, let's do the prediction. Do you think he'll get a second contract from the Browns? I think so. Just because have we seen a quarterback since Kirk not get one? I don't think so. Um. Well, what do you mean? Like a, a quarterback hit free agency. Oh, um, I see what you're saying. Unrestricted free agency as a starting level quarterback at that age. Yeah, no. Um, But so do you think he gets a new deal? Do you think he gets franchised? How do you think that situation works itself out? I think I think he'll probably get a new deal. I think just everything is incentivized to uh, get extensions done early in the NFL. So if you can get to it, 
um, it's a whole lot better than dragging it out like what Dallas did. I, I, I'm sure Dallas wish wishes they could have just given Dak that contract, you know, two years ago or something instead of had to go through this whole process. So I, th- I think he'll get an extension. But if he doesn't see eye to eye with the Browns, I mean, I think he's going to get hit with the tag. I think the last thing they're going to do is let him walk just because that's not what NFL teams do. Okay, well, let me talk to you about that a little bit, because I know it costs Dallas more money. But in life, let me just say this. I think it's worth it to pay a little more money to know what you have. Like, if you're not sure about a guy, the fastest way to get bad as an NFL team is to give a guy a huge deal that's not an elite quarterback. So if you want to wait and pay a little more money for a couple years to find out, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and that's that's perfectly fair. I mean, if you look at yeah, if you look at the situations that those guys were in, I think the teams were in the same spot too, where even Jerry Jones after he pays Dak Prescott is telling the public as he's like sitting next to Dak Prescott, I overpaid him. But I over <laughs> I over I overpaid him, but I gave him that money for that security. I mean, that's what he's basically telling you eye to eye you know what i mean so like even even if jerry doesn't agree with the type of contract that he gave to him he's telling you the reasons why and why the money doesn't necessarily have to match up with the talent it's matching up with the situation right that's what's important because that's what scares teams away where we were just talking about you know teams are always worried about this guy walks he performs for another team how do we look that's a huge deal and a huge motivating factor for a lot of these guys. Um, but that shouldn't matter, though. What matters is how does the guy we get to come in next perform, right? Like with the Broncos with Tebow, right? They throw that touchdown against the Steelers. They win the playoff game. Yeah, everything is great. Like we're winning games with Tebow. And then what happens? They dump Tebow, which some people might have been upset about because they were winning. But who do they get? They get Peyton Manning. He sets the record for yards and touchdowns in a season. They go to two Super Bowls. They win a Super Bowl. It doesn't matter. Even if Tim Tebow was really good somewhere else, no Broncos fan is going to be upset with how that worked out. So you shouldn't be worried about how this guy plays somewhere else. You should be worried about how the guy plays that you're getting to replace him. That's fair, but Peyton Manning isn't available all the time. And the other thing about teams, man, front offices, coaches, Everyone is motivated by job security and you have to remember that. And it's like something that we don't talk about enough, I think in the media and as fans. Um, But a lot of these like desperation moves where you're like, why in the hell did that team do that (laughs) is because they're on the hot seat. And if they don't get it figured out, you know, in that year, then they're out and it doesn't matter because they're in their mind. Their calculations are what is what is best for the team three years from now, which is what everyone thinks that these jobs are. When in their mind, they're really thinking about how can I hold on to my job if this guy breaks out and you know the ten percent chance that he breaks out, I can keep my gig. And that that's how they're motivated. You know what I mean? Because hey, man, there's only thirty two spot thirty two of those spots in the world, and it's really hard to come by, and it's even harder to get a second shot at them. So. Well, that's totally fair. And and so that kind of brings me to this next quarterback here as we move off of Baker. The next quarterback drafted in 2018 was Sam Darnold. And I I, I got to be honest, Justice, I just don't get it. I don't know what the hell the Panthers are thinking. I 
show me the guy that's been as bad as Sam Darnold has been, who has then gone to a new team and been really good. Because I can't find one in the history of the NFL. And that's the bet the Panthers are making. They're saying we can do something that has never happened before in the history of the league, and we can do it with Sam Darnold. It's not all Adam Gase's fault. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I wasn't a huge Darnold fan coming out um, just between, you know, throwing motions get overrated a lot, but I did think that, like, his long throwing motion did impact his game in the same way it, like, impacted, like, Blake Bortles's. And he had a ton of turnovers. I think he led turnovers in the FBS his final year at U- at USC, and he almost lost to Western Michigan in the Coliseum. <laughs> I mean, that's a thing. Like, it, what his issues have been in the NFL were the same issues that he had in college, which is the biggest red flag, where it's like, all right, I think we kind of knew who this guy was in 2018, right? And he's still doing the same things incorrectly, and now it's 2021 and teams are still betting on him what's happening. The biggest thing that I wonder about the situation. So if you if you're Tepper, right, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, you hired Matt Rule, you gave him a six year contract. He got a hire Wonder Boy Joe Brady as an offensive coordinator, right? You took a swing at a quarterback last year. His name was Teddy Bridgewater. It did not work out. You're taking a swing this offseason with Sam Darnold. If it doesn't work out, do you get a third chance? How many guys get to pick three quarterbacks? Exactly. In three years. <laughs> At some point, if you're the owner, and by all accounts, it sounds like for as much as people talk about Tepper, analytics, long-term build, he also wants to win now. Like, this dude is a competitive guy. Is he going to allow a guy like Matt Rule a third shot at a quarterback in three years? Like, I think that's a very fair question. And I know, you know, their offseason plan was to go after Deshaun Watson, and you know, situations changed pretty clearly. Um, but that doesn't mean that Sam Darnold was the only option that you could have taken there. And exactly. Yeah. That it's, it's a really interesting question. Cause I do wonder like if, if Darnold gets his ass pulled in October, like what does the rule era even look like? Like, does he get another shot? Is he just bought out of his last four years of his contract? It, it'll be interesting to watch. Cause that's a quiet hot seat. I think. This is my problem with the acquisition. Sam Darnold, even if he's like 30% better than he was, so let's say like Adam Gase is really horrible, right? And the Panthers are going to do it better. And they do do a a good job of building up Sam Darnold's skill, calling better plays for him. They have better people around him. All that stuff that people are banking on. Even if that results in like a 30% bump for Sam Darnold, to me that still makes him like an average quarterback. For this move to pay off, Sam Darnold has to be like 50 to 60% better than he's ever been. He's never had a QBR over 46. He's never played a full season. He turns the ball over, like you said, constantly. For this to pay off, he's got to be a completely different player than we've ever seen before. So I don't even get this move conceptually by the Panthers. Yeah, he would have to take the type of jump like Josh Allen did between his like rookie and second year. Like just an astronomical jump that like we haven't seen in like a decade, you know? Cuz Josh Allen Josh Allen is probably the best example of a guy who's actually improved his accuracy and like functional quarterbacking skills from college from the jump from college to the pro level since probably 
Matt Ryan, I would say, like just in terms of like the stats um, perspective where it's, you know, he's a better quarterback and in, in, at the pro level than he was in college. That usually doesn't happen. Like there, there's a reason why a lot of these raw guys just end up flaming out of the league. And unless they got something magic down in Carolina, that's going to fix a lot of Darnold's issues. I don't necessarily see how it's going to work out. So I think we both agree. You can tell from what we're saying, Josh, uh, Sam Darnold, not worth another deal. Certainly not a market value, big money deal, like anything close to what Dak got. Let's take a break here. Cause when we come back, I actually think re-signing Josh Allen right now is the absolute worst thing the bills could do. I'll explain why when we come back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back here on the SB Nation NFL show. All right, Justice, we have reached Josh Allen who, of course, was the number seven pick in 2018. He was an absolute monster last year. There's no criticism that I think anybody could have of Josh Allen last year. He was great throwing the ball. He was great running the ball. He was fantastic. But I said before the break that I think re-signing him right now is the worst thing the Bills can do, and I totally stand by it. Because to me, you still don't know what you have in Josh Allen. To me, last year doesn't erase the Josh Allen that we saw the two previous seasons. And so I don't think that you can say for sure that the guy we saw last year is definitely the guy you're going to get for the next three, four, five years. Is that fair? I think I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. I, I don't necessarily think that I don't agree with you that it's the worst thing that you could possibly do. But I understand the perspective that you have, where if you're worried about what is Josh Allen 100%, there would be stressors in that situation. I, I, I think the beauty in Josh Allen's game is honestly that there isn't that much consistency. I mean, that's, that's really the bonus of it. It's that he can freelance and hit you for an 80-yard touchdown pass. It's that he could take the ball. I mean, remember him in the playoffs. Right. I mean, this guy coughs up the ball in some of the worst spots possible. Yes. But he's also making massive plays like he's just he's out there and he's slinging the ball and he's running with the ball. And sometimes it's going to break for him. And sometimes it's not. It's really kind of I'm trying to think like of a player that he's comparable to right now, like Cam Newton. Right. Like Cam Newton after they went to the Super Bowl. I think that's the kind of quarterback we're looking at with Josh Allen where it might not be consistent but when you can hit the highs and if you can build a team around his strengths you can do some special things with him and I I think that's what he really brings to the table he can have incredible highs for sure but sometimes I feel like being a quarterback is all about the worst thing that you do and what is his floor how low are his lows? If his floor is like average quarterback with the potential to be the best quarterback in the league, then I would say, you know what? I un- I could understand paying him a massive deal. But if his floor is one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, if his floor is 52% completion like it was in his rookie year and 172 yards per game, I can't pay that guy 
30, 40 million dollars a year. And that's what I'm worried about with Josh Allen. I'm worried that last year was a career year, the best year we'll ever see. Think Joe Flacco in the 2012 playoffs with the Ravens. And then really the guy that we see after the deal gets signed is the guy we saw the first two years in the league. And if you do that and you're the Bills and you give that guy 30 to 40 million, you are going to be crushed for a couple of years because it's going to take a lot to get out from under that. I, I think the thing I would be worried about the most if I were in the Bills front office, right, is what happens when Dayball leaves. Because Dayball should have been a head coaching candidate. Um, once the Eagles and the Texans job were the last jobs open, uh, once Staley took the Chargers job, mm-hmm. he basically pulled himself out because those jobs were so bad, right? And he just <laughs> said, hey, all right, I know I should be a head coach, but I'll wait until 2022 and just wait for my next opportunity because the Eagles and Texans are just crap shows right now. Um, they do a lot of innovative stuff on offense that I don't think people understand. Like they run fullbacks in the shotgun, right? Stuff that you just don't see at the NFL level that happens in the college level. And they're able to run ISO from the shotgun. And then you look at them in the playoffs and they're basically not running the ball in some games, right? Like they're doing a lot of interesting stuff and Dayball's really gotten to that firsthand look at the college level innovation and brought that to Buffalo. What happens when he leaves? Because that's what I'm worried the most about, right? Is okay. He leaves, you bring in someone and they want to run like I formation play action stuff like Tom Brady is doing with the Buccaneers right now. Then what does Josh Allen look like? Because I'm not so confident that version of Josh Allen works better than this version of Josh Allen. So my whole thing is like, how do we make Josh Allen kind of scheme proof? Because right now he's not, right? So how how do we construct the team around him so he's scheme proof? That would be my number one stressor if I did pay him. So then I can't pay a guy that's not scheme proof. I can't do it unless I've got like my head coach is my offensive play caller, like Andy Reid. And I know Eric Bieniemy does stuff in Kansas City, but Andy Reid, you're not worried about the offense if Eric Bieniemy leaves. Andy Reid is still really, really good. Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, Sean McVay with the Rams. It's their offense. If I've right. got that, okay, I can pay a guy maybe that you know is a little more scheme dependent. But if you're saying you've got Sean McDermott is clearly the head coach in Buffalo, and it's dependent on having Dayball there, and he can leave. Well, then that's another reason not to pay Josh Allen because, again, 30 to $40 million is what we're talking about here, and you cannot risk that. You just can't do it. So I don't. I think Buffalo should wait. This is a perfect litmus test this year for Josh Allen. They have high expectations. There's a year of film, another year of film uh, on him now. People are going to – everybody's going to get the Bills their best shot. If Allen does it this year and produces this year like he did last year, I feel so much more comfortable paying him that money because there aren't many guys that have had his that have reached that level of performance in NFL history for two years and then suddenly dropped off a cliff and never done it again. So this year, this year I feel like is the perfect litmus test and it's the perfect opportunity for the Bills to get an, a proper evaluation of Josh Allen. I think that's fair. You're supposed to argue with me, Justice. <laughs> well, I mean, you're making valid points. If you're really that worried about him falling off and paying that much money, then I understand the perspective. The problem is everyone is going to be able to pay this guy, right? So let's say you're Matt Rule in 2022. Josh Allen mm-hmm. is a free market. Sam Darnold didn't work. You're just signing Josh Allen immediately. So that's a, one immediate suitor to drive 
the bidding market up in free agency, right? So I, I just think that that's how that happens. And until teams are comfortable just letting guys walk, then they're just going to keep paying quarterbacks and the prices are going to keep rising. That's just the situation that we're in. What they have to get comfortable with is they have to get comfortable paying for convenience. Let him play the fifth-year option. Franchise him. Franchise him again. We always pay for convenience in life, Justice. Rush shipping. Candy at the movie theater. Three times more expensive than anywhere else in the world. Emergency service. We always pay more for convenience. Why don't teams do it in football? You don't have to sign Josh. It's not sign Josh Allen to a mega contract right now or let him be a free agent. You've got years in between there. Get comfortable paying for convenience and paying for flexibility. Like you were talking about the, you know, being able to get out of the Jimmy Garoppolo contract. That's what you want. Flexibility as an NFL team is great. I would be willing to pay for that flexibility if I was an NFL team because you avoid the trap of a high-priced quarterback that's not that good. That is the number one thing to me that you cannot have. So Bills fans, like, don't freak out if Josh Allen doesn't get a deal. Let him play this year. Let him play next year. You can franchise him, and then you worry about it. And does it cost you a little more down the road if the guy blows up? Yes, I agree completely. It's going to cost you more. Cap's going to go up. Be willing to pay for convenience and knowing what you're buying. I think that makes sense. The biggest thing that I would think from a structure perspective, right, is that contracts, usually the salary escalates, right? So the first year of the deal is usually the lowest salary, and then it just rises up from there. Well, what teams do, right, is they leverage that debt cap. So, you know, your first two years, your contract basically isn't getting touched. But then by your third year where you have no dead cap, you start to convert salary into a signing bonus. So the player still gets paid that same amount. Mm -hmm. But from a cash perspective, he's still getting the same amount. It's hitting his bank account at the same time. But instead of it all being counted that one year, it's spread over the next three to five years. Right. And that's where you can create cap space instead of getting hit with a tag where you're assuming that money and it can't be manipulated. And that that's where I think that whole idea of flexibility becomes a kind of different conversation because there's the definition of flexibility can mean a lot of things, right? So are we in a spot where we can pay a quarterback, you know, $40 million cash and it counts against the dead cap this very year? Or do we want to sign him to a five-year extension where we could play around with the money and he's only really taking a $10 million cap hit? And now we're now on the books, we have $30 million to spend on the team so we can try to incentivize this window to compete for a, a title, right? So flexibility, I think, can take a lot of definitions in that way. That was like the nicest way anyone's ever tried to fall over one of my arguments. <laughs> it just, hey, things things are different for different teams. Everyone's <laughs> in a different spot, and you got to remember that. But it also takes a player willing to structure a contract that way. Like DeForest yes. Buckner with the 49ers. The 49ers are the kings of putting these outs in contracts so that they can get out of it when they want. Jimmy Garoppolo is a perfect example. The problem with DeForest Buckner, he was like, no, I'm not structuring my contract that way. That is not how I want to do it. That's why they traded him. It wasn't that they couldn't afford him. They just couldn't get him to agree to the structure that they wanted, so they traded him. So it also depends on, is the guy willing to structure his contract that way? Um, and I don't know, you know, is Josh Allen a tough negotiator? I don't know any of that, those details. So we'll have to see. Uh, coming up next, 
Pick number 10, Josh Rosen. Okay, I think we've spent all the time we need to spend on Josh Rosen. Is he any good? No. <laughs> and I think I think for whatever reason, Ryan Fitzpatrick is either a great hang or Josh Rosen isn't. Um, because it really does seem like it was the the locker room that really galvanized around the idea of those two, which is kind of an interesting look. Cause Josh Rosen in interviews doesn't necessarily come off like someone who wouldn't get along in an NFL locker room, right? But then when you talk to people from Arizona and Miami, they're like, we damn near had a player rebellion. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't necessarily know the whole, I don't even, I don't know if anyone knows the whole story there, but for whatever reason, it's just not working out for the dude. And that happens a lot in the draft with, with high first round picks all the time. Um, It's rare to see it happen so quickly with like, This is like Jamarcus Russell. Like, okay, teams are literally completely and totally done. There's no like, well, we think we can build. Like, look at Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's been terrible, but there's still another team willing to take a chance on him, right? Josh Rosen has been so bad that no one is letting him anywhere close to a starting job. Yeah, do do you remember uh, who Josh Rosen got fired? Who he beat and got canned? Uh... Well, I know he beat the 49ers. Is that what you're referring to? No, he, he beat Michael McCarthy in Green Bay. Oh, and then they canned his ass that night. And then wow. a year later, Mike McCarthy shows up and he's like, hey, Jerry Jones, I've watched uh, I've watched every Cowboy snap and I hung out for a day at PFF. Please. Hire me. <laughs> and it worked. And it worked. Yet nobody was smarter about how they like played the media and used the media to their advantage to sell this narrative that they are somehow a changed man than Mike McCarthy. I totally agree with you there. It was amazing. It was just the, the, yeah, the interviews of him just holed up in his house in green Bay with like three former NFL DCs and they're just watching film all day. I'm like, guys, I don't know if that was the issue, but justice, he had some binders in the background. Okay. Let's lay out. He had binders. So he (laughs) knows analytics. (laughs) <laughs> lamination that's what you want from a good head coach is lamination i mean the story came out that he was literally getting massages during the week instead of game planning and somehow he got another job and he got a job with the dallas cowboys yeah just you know the biggest brand in the nfl no big deal <laughs> i'll never understand that at all i was never on board with the mike mccarthy hire i mean this dude could have drafted aaron Rodgers in 2005 he was the offensive coordinator of the 49ers in that draft like they could have had him and then they passed on him and he falls ass backwards into Aaron Rodgers when he goes to Green Bay like this dude's the ultimate lucky duck here in the NFL and when he was the offensive coordinator his head coach was with the Niners is the defensive coordinator he just had to can with the Dallas Cowboys because he's hiring good old boys that's true geez Mike Nolan oh my goodness look man this is what people talk about when they say like nepotism in the NFL. And it's not necessarily like people in your family, but like people you were in the foxhole with. Cause if your you're, circle. you're spending so much time with these guys in the building that when you get a call to shots, you're usually bringing some of those guys in just because you know them and you know how you can work with them on a 80 hour work week schedule, right? Like that's important. But you get yourself into problems when you're hiring Mike Nolan as your defensive coordinator in 2020, and then it blows up, and then you hire Dan Quinn, and you have <laughs> right. like like six of your best 
probably like eight defensive players are all linebackers and you don't understand like how do we even get them all on the field now um yeah dallas is an interesting situation but that's a little side tangent josh rosen (laughs) you're gonna hear it from rj ochoa after that uh one more quarterback on the list he was the last pick in the first round number 32 that is lamar jackson justice there's like People are heated on both sides of this. The Ravens have said that they're going to get a contract done. My feeling on it is this. I know that Lamar was really good, and he was incredible in his MVP season. But I look at it and say, why is he able to do the things that he's doing? Is it him? Is it the system? And once I have that answer, where am I willing to put my money? And I'm not willing to say Lamar Jackson 100% deserves a 30 to $40 million contract right now. Are you? I'd do it. I'd do it. I think, I think Lamar is, you know, a top 10 quarterback for the foreseeable future. Um, when you say, is it him or it's the system, man, there's a lot of plays on like, Lamar, like look up Lamar Jackson's highlights, right? And then there probably half of them, you'll say, yeah, he's the only guy in the NFL who could do that, yeah. right? So <laughs> when you're talking about is it him or is it the system, like his talent level and what he does is so high that you can't even recreate some of the stuff. So like, for example, I'll say this right now. When I worked with the XFL, right, they the Steelers tried to hire uh, PJ Walker on their practice squad to simulate uh, Lamar Jackson um, – in practice because Mm -hmm. you just you just don't have a guy like that in the building there's literally not a guy like that right so if if you don't have a guy who's twitched up like that and can throw in your practice how is your defense ever going to be able to relate to that in a game other than figuring it out mid game you know how are they going to be prepared in that first half he causes a lot of problems um because of his unique skill set and i think because of that alone he's worth paying and then the other thing too is I don't think Greg Roman is that great of an offensive coordinator. So I, I don't even necessarily believe like we've even seen the highest peak of Lamar Jackson yet. I, I, I think there's still more under the surface there. Well, that is a crazy thought because if we haven't seen Lamar Jackson's peak, like we've literally seen him lead the league in touchdown passes in 2019. He threw 36 touchdown passes and oh by the way you know just ran for 1200 yards and scored seven more touchdowns if you're telling me this dude can be better than that then yeah I'm gonna pay him and I agree with you like there are many times in a game where the defense does everything right and they just cannot tackle Lamar Jackson like they read the the option play right and the defensive end is right there and it's like defensive end Lamar Jackson okay, go make the play. And Lamar, meanwhile, Lamar Jackson is licking his chops because he knows there's no way this 300-pound defensive end is going to be able to tackle him. But I look at, like you were just talking about Josh Allen, right, in the I formation. Like, is he the same guy that we've seen with Brian Dable? Well, is Lamar Jackson the same guy if he's not in this crazy, run-heavy Greg Roman system? Well, I guess the difference that I would say of Lamar and Josh, right, is you're you're trying to figure out where exactly is Josh Allen's talent level, right? And I think that's been answered with Lamar already, where if if you're running an offense with Lamar, yes, you want to run the option, period. 
you know, like you want to at least have some zone read games that you can run with them. Maybe you're not running quarterback power and stuff like that. Like the Patriots were doing at the goal line with Cam Newton, but <laughs> you're at the, you're at the very least running, you know, read option, trying to get them on the edge. Right. Um, so I think that aspect of the game is just going to follow Lamar Jackson forever, no matter who his offensive coordinator is. I don't think we're going to get a, uh, Dang, what's his name? The dude who tried to run the West Coast offense with Vic in Atlanta. I'm, I'm spacing out. But Jim I, Mora? I Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see a Jim Mora type of situation in Lamar's career. But what I will say is that I think you're going to see an offensive coordinator come into his life who's going to help him with play action and RPOs and stuff like that. And that's stuff that I just don't think Greg Roman is doing right now. All right, that's fair. Uh, I would like to see that before I pay him all that money. Um, but I was talking earlier about highs and lows and how sometimes as a quarterback, it's all about the worst thing that you do. And I know it's a small sample size. I get it. But when we're talking about lows with Lamar Jackson, I look at the playoff games with him, Justice, and it has been ugly, like really, really bad. He has played four playoff games and in three of the four he's thrown for less than 100 yards he's got more interceptions than touchdowns in the playoffs his lows can be pretty low yeah and i think the tough thing when you watch lamar too is when things get out of hand he kind of shows it and this is not necessarily like a body language doctor type of thing that's not what i'm trying to do at all but you just kind of feel bad for him when things are going bad too because the the sideline shot cuts to him and he's just like profoundly like sad on the sideline (laughs) you know in those playoff games i mean it happens every single time and it's not necessarily like i'm trying to knock the dude for it i just feel kind of bad about it it's like you know maybe there is a certain level of credit that we should be giving to those guys who are like energetic and just pepped up on the sideline and when stuff goes wrong they're in their offensive lineman's face trying to get them right and like holding people accountable that way Cause you know, I mean, Rogers will do that. Shit. I mean, oh, didn't mean to cuss. <laughs> uh, Ro- Rogers will do that. Brady will do that. I mean, we've seen Breeze do that. Like all those guys, we've seen them just completely rip into teammates or coaches or something on the sideline when things aren't going right, and then the people that they're yelling at just snap back into you know the game plan, I guess. And we're not seeing that with Lamar, but I think it'll work out for him eventually. I mean, like you said, small sample size. It's been four games. Um, teams also throw out very weird things in the playoffs against Lamar. Like that first playoff game against the Chargers, I think it was. Yep. Where the Chargers just didn't use linebackers. They <laughs> they didn't. They just simply didn't. They had like a three safety look with like defensive linemen and corners. And they were just like, our linebackers simply cannot keep up with Lamar Jackson's foot speed. So we're not going to have them there. And that's stuffed like, that's what I'm saying. What what does Lamar Jackson bring to the table? He brings to the table a NFL defense playing a defense for the first time in a playoff game because they don't know how to handle his skill set, right? That's the kind of stuff that you're buying if you're giving Lamar Jackson that type of money. And it's very rare for a player to have that type of skill set. I completely agree. But when I'm paying you $40 million, I'm paying you to be able to overcome that. That's what I'm paying the guy. I want to pay a guy who can look at a defense that he's never seen before and be able to figure it out. And 
I don't know that Lamar is that guy, even if it, even though he started to play better in the fourth quarter of that game against the Chargers, like it wasn't enough. And when you get down big, is Lamar the guy that's bringing you back? Is he the quarterback that can pass 50 times a game if he has to to bring you back? I don't know. Their system is not designed to play from behind at all, Justice. No, and they don't give each other or they don't give themselves very many opportunities either. Right. I mean, that's the big thing. It's if you're controlling the ball, you're pounding the rock, you're getting an early lead. It's not like their defense is any bad either. Right. Mm-hmm. So as, as long as you can match what the other offense does, you're in your you know neutral or positive game script and you're just pounding the rock over and over again. And that's why I kind of think that they need to take a different approach. I mean, you could still run the option and not run the ball every single play. <laughs> right. You know, you could be in the gun and you could do I mean, look at what the bills are doing. Right. Like the Bills are running a lot of screens. They're doing RPOs. They're using a lot of motion. They're not in the pistol. They're in the shotgun. And maybe that's what Lamar Jackson needs. So if he can do that, I think it would open a whole different level of his game. But like you said, I'd want to figure that out before he gets paid. But it doesn't look like they're making that move yet. So their timelines aren't in line. You know, the offensive coordinator decision is going to happen after his contract decision, which is not necessarily how you want to streamline that as a team. No. And that's the thing. There's no reason to do it now. What is the reason to, to save money would be the only reason. But again, you don't know what you're buying yet. Pay for the convenience. That's what I'm saying. Uh, And I will throw this one extra thing in there though. Lamar doesn't have an agent. Right. To me, that matters. That's a big deal. Because like we were talking about with Baker, right? If you could get him to sign a deal that's below market value, that's a $25, $29 million deal, you would do it. Well, if Lamar doesn't have a guy with the negotiating expertise or or a guy or a woman, anyone, with the negotiating expertise to get him the best possible deal, you may be able to get Lamar to take a more team-friendly contract, take less than he would have gotten if he had an experienced agent negotiating for him. And that makes a big, big difference to me. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it with the Niners. I mean, Richard Sherman represented himself and he ended up in a contract structure that ended up working for him because he made a pro bowl and stuff like that. But um, there was a lot of risk on that front end where if you didn't come back from that Achilles injury in the correct way, you could have been leaving a ton of money on the table after a year, you know, and they cut, they cut you. But he took that risk and he ended up on the right side of it. But I think he ended up signing a contract that if he had an agent, it would have looked a lot different. And I'm not necessarily sure any major agent with a player of his talent level would have signed that contract. So you do get way more unique circumstances with, you know, non-traditional agents signing these type of important contracts. And don't forget with that Richard Sherman deal, it was so bad that the Players Association had to come in and renegotiate part of it. Don't don't forget that part, too. Like, literally, the union came in and was like, oh, hold on, we got to adjust this part of it. And they were lucky that the 49ers were willing to do that because they didn't want to, you know, create an issue with Richard Sherman. But it wasn't like this fantastic deal that he negotiated. I know he gets he gets all defensive about that. He He sure does, especially on Twitter, Twitter Twitter.com. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm I'm blocked by Richard Sherman, but uh, he doesn't like people to point that out. But that's just the truth. Like 
there's a reason agents have a job. They're really good at negotiating. They know how to do it and they have the experience doing it. They know how to do it better than certainly Lamar Jackson does or any advisor that Lamar Jackson might have right now. Like I want to see guys get all the money that they can get because the NFL has tons of money. They can clearly afford it. So uh, to me, I want to see everybody get the most money possible. And the only way you do that to me is with an agent. Yeah, I know there's a lot of agents who kind of think the same thing, where to a certain level, a lot of these players who are representing themselves aren't getting the return on investment that they really thought that they were going to get. And at, at some point, how much does that, you know, two, three percent that's going to the agent matter compared to what your career earnings is at the end of the day? Right. That That's a lot of the concerns. But yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now, I also agree with Richard Sherman that there are some bad agents out there. I totally agree with you. Like you, oh, have I'm sure. Danell to... Hunter's agent should have been fired four <laughs> years ago. That yeah, like, his back-to-back contracts just absurd. There's a lot of guys on just awful deals, but there's a lot of agents who are doing good work for their represent uh, representatives too. Like if Lamar Jackson suddenly said, "I want an agent," he's going to be able to get the best agents out. He's not going to have to sign, you know, with a guy who has no clients, who's never done it before. He's going to get Todd France, Lee Steinberg. He'll have one of the elite agents that, uh, that guys have. Okay. So if you're the Ravens right now, what are you doing with Lamar? I I'm giving him money. I'm giving him money and making an offensive coordinator switch. And that I would have done that a year ago, um, but I'd still do it today. So that, that would be my plan. I just think Lamar is such a special talent that, Really, the sky's the limit on a player like that. I am doing nothing right now. I, if his representatives came to me, I would say, we love your guy. We absolutely love him. But we, he's under contract right now, and we want to, you know, we're going to comfortable playing it out, and we'll talk in a year from now, maybe two years from now. We'll see. But, I mean, the, the simple fact is Lamar Jackson's options are play under the contract that he is under right now or don't play at all. So if Lamar wants right. to just not play, that's his prerogative. But I'm betting that he's going to play. So if I'm the Ravens, that's what I say. I say nothing, play this year. You know, you got the option year. You got the franchise tag years. Let's let the offensive coordinator switch happen, like you said, which I think is key. And let's go. And we'll talk to you then. And if you don't like it, I totally understand. But this is the business you've chosen, so to speak. That's fair. And something that I think is worth bringing up, especially around right now, is the CBA changed the rules for holdouts. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot more important than I think people realize. Because last year, right, the CBA gets pushed through. The players are scared. Um, 2020 happens. There's a pandemic. Every player who really wanted to hold out just showed up because of how weird the world is, right? I mean, you got to remember back to 12 months ago. 2021 is really the first time that we're going to see an actual holdout happen. And now the CBA has banned waiving fines, right? So if Aaron Rodgers holds out through minicamp or through training camp, those fines, you know, usually, you know, and Aaron Donald resigns a contract after he hasn't been there. And then the Rams say, well, we don't want to just piss off the guy that we just got to gave a ton of money for. So we're going to waive those fines. So all those fines that he accumulated don't matter anymore. Well, now it's legislated by the league that they're mandatory. So the team doesn't have to go and say, yeah, we can just waive these 
um, if we don't wave them, we come across like we're being mean to someone that we just gave a ton of money for, which is clearly not what you want to do. You don't want to make them mad. What happens now is you say, oh, I'm actually not allowed by the league to waive these fines. So now mm-hmm. if players hold out, it's going to be real tough, which is definitely helps front offices and ownership keeping these players around because these players basically have no holdout rights anymore, which was a huge part of them driving up salaries. And if you hold out, you lose an accrued season towards free agency now under the new rule. So like they're really, it, right. it is crazy what the league has put in place in terms of guys and, and holding out. So that's why, again, you've got the leverage if you're the Ravens or whoever team you are play Lamar or don't, but if you're going to play, you're going to play under this salary and them, them's the rules, them's the breaks. And I'm sorry, but that's, that's where it is. And again, like I said, I think the league is definitely more cap centric now. And I think you're going to see a lot of this just moving into the future. I mean, it's all about numbers now. It's all about how, how much weight do you have on the salary cap? How can we manipulate it, et cetera. And I think teams are going to play hardball with these new tools, especially a whole lot more than we're used to seeing them uh, probably in the last CBA 2011. And especially with Lamar, the way he runs, he does a very good job of protecting himself. I have to say, but he does assume more risk by getting, by running the ball the way he does, especially with some of the designed runs, he's a higher injury risk too. So that's another reason to wait on this thing. You have every reason to wait if you're the Ravens. That's fair. I just think he's so talented. I wouldn't want to risk making him mad and having him try to get out. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, again, we have to preface this with saying, you know, Deshaun Watson before the allegations and stuff like that. But Deshaun Watson's situation where he signs a contract, we think he's so talented, and then he's still not happy and he wants out. I guess that that's what you would worry about if you're signing Lamar Jackson that – you would sign him and then he loses faith in the coaching staff and still demands a trade. And then you're on the hook for a ton of money that you only paid. You thought you were going to pay over a five-year contract. And now in reality, you're just paying over a two-year contract because he wants out. Okay. So he wants out. What am I getting for Deshaun Watson? I mean, the Dolphins just got three first-round picks for Trey Lance. So I'm getting at least that for Deshaun Watson, right? His salary is a lot higher, though. You have to remember that accounts into all of it, right? So, like, what the Niners were trading for was a quarterback at that cap hit, too, right? So, like, what's the value? You could do this whole thing. You could actually calculate it out where you're talking about uh, the cash swaps that we've seen in the league, like the Tannehill trade, the Osweiler trade, yep. uh, the Akeem Tlaib stuff, like legitimate cash swaps for, for draft picks. And it's really, like, $40 million is, like, a first-round pick, like, in terms of just – pure cap space mm-hmm. so i would say that you're probably looking at like two first round picks for a guy like deshaun watson's talent um again ignoring know. the allegations and all that stuff but right just in terms of pure talent i think it would cost two two first round picks to trade for a guy like that but i mean we just saw stafford get traded right and yeah i mean the, these markets are weird where it's like can you trade matt ryan for a first round pick probably but that's probably oh, yeah. a bad decision like he's he costs too much he's too old for for that type of compensation but someone would probably do it because of the scarcity of quarterbacks in this league if i'm the texans i say if you want to sean you got to pay three first round picks i to me you get you would get a bidding war i think you would get it 
And so that to me, it's like, yeah, I risk alienating my quarterback if I, I, you know, I risk alienating Lamar if we don't sign him. But if he does get alienated, I'm getting two to three first round picks back in return and I'll take my chances. Like, I, I'm fine with that if I'm an organization. I don't know that these teams are, but that's just me. That's going to do it for this edition of the SB Nation NFL show. Justice, thank you very much for helping me out here as we uh, pinch hit for RJ and Pete Sweeney. Yeah, no problem. They'll be they'll be back soon. Yeah, well, RJ is going to come back like a house of fire after he heard all your Dallas Cowboy comments. So brace yourself for that. Enjoy your day, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>